Welcome friends to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. The Art and Science of Success. Hi, it's Diane here with Chad Burmeister, an expert in success in many different areas of life and business. And I met Chad through the most interesting way. I um, was on LinkedIn and believe it or not, a virtual assistant that was all AI connected to me, but I didn't know it was AI. And then I said, well, you can be on the show if you talk to me first. And then when we spoke, I'm like, oh my God, he's perfect. So be really excited to hear the wisdom from this man, because even in our short conversation prior to today, I was so excited and thrilled. And so the magic of technology sometimes can really bring people together who otherwise wouldn't know each other. So, cause I know very little about that technology. Chad knows a lot about that technology. So we're going to talk about the art and science of business. So welcome Chad to the show and someone gets me. I'm so happy that we're here together. Thank you so much for having me. We have something in common too, because your last name is Alan and my middle name is Alan. So there we go. See, there's a synergy already. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, yes. And you, have, and, um, and you appreciate music in the way I do too. So that's really good. I uh, have two guitars hanging on my wall, but you wouldn't know it with the virtual green screen that I use here. So oh, just yes. imagine two nice guitars, one signed by Mike Ness from Social Distortion, which is a band you probably have not heard. And then another is signed from about 10 different artists at a show that I went to in Vegas, uh, rock, something rock show. And I went maybe three or four years ago and all of the singers and guitarists and bass players and everything else signed it. So it was pretty cool. Beautiful. Oh, that's wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming to the show because we're all about helping people get unstuck and live their vision. And after speaking to you, I thought, oh, well, this is a man that can really inspire people, especially the people who feel a little stuck. So the first question that I would like to ask, because we all know I do it on intuition, so there is no script here. The first question I would like to ask you about, though, is what interested you in bringing spiritual principles into your business? How did that start? Because that's typically not a marriage. Right. Well, since, I've, since I was a young kid, my parents always took me to church to the point where you wake up on Sunday and it was really, I don't feel good, mom. I've got a sore throat right now. <laughs> and so, and, you know, and then later that day you're out playing in the, in the driveway, riding your bike and they were, and they figured that story out really quickly. So early it was, Hey, this is just a thing we do, right? My parents went, your grandparents went and your grandparents before them went to church on Sundays. And so, but I learned the Bible stories and Jesus loves me. And I got my cross in eighth grade from my grandparents through confirmation. And, and then I go off to college and, you know, I would go to church. I'd actually seek it out a few times here and there um, through college, but I wasn't a regular Sunday goer. 
-hmm. And over the years, when you run into critical and tough situations, the one thing that was constant was that if I would pray about anything, my, my confirmation class, I remember the pastor, Pastor Hinchy, said, your will be done. And so that was always my prayer. I would just say, God, I don't know. This is way over my head. It's over my pay grade. All I can ask at this moment is your will be done. So I'd go to bed at night and I'd pray your will be done. I tell you, beyond a reasonable doubt, I would get dreams that would be almost parables. And you'd wake up in the morning and go, huh, got it. Thanks. We got this. And so that's, that's literally how I've lived my life, especially when times get hard. When I was fired from my first sales job out of college, and I thought I was going to be a seller for my entire life, and I'm fired nine months into the job. Mm. God, your will be done. And guess what? The next job, I became the number one sales rep in the company within six months. Right manager, right place, right time. I built some friendships that lasted my entire life. And without that spark and that prayer, your will be done, none of it would have happened as it was meant to be. So mm. that's, that's why I brought it into my company because it's worked for me. And so I'm not out there trumpeting on the corners, hey, you need to follow God and you need to. However, I make it known in the way that I run my business, the way that I've managed teams in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I brought God into my company and, and in it, everywhere I've worked since graduating college. Oh, that's wonderful. So what, tell me about the inspiration to go from being a salesperson or employee into a business owner, because those are completely different in so many ways. And I'm always curious about that story. Like, what made you want to own a business? <laughs> I heard a speaker this morning on Inc. 5000, and she was one of the keynotes of the day. And she's a CEO of a pharmaceutical company, and then she runs another private equity investment company. And she said the question she asks of other entrepreneurs that she's looking to invest in is, how did you first make money in life? Not how did you make money at a job or what was your first job? How'd you first make money? Mm -hmm. So the answer to me would be, well, when I was 10 or 12 years old, I bought 144 suckers, a gross is what it was called. (laughs) I learned that terminology from a Sam's club or something like that. And you'd spend five or $6 on 144 of these things. I'd bring them onto the bus. I'd sell them for 25 cents each. When you get down to the last two to three, now the law of scarcity kicks in. Oh, I've only got three left. These are now a dollar. And so I knew I was a salesperson when I was very young. And then I, I knew I was competitive because I would do the rope climb in elementary school, first mm-hmm. through sixth grade. And I was like, wow, I beat everyone. And I'm not like a super athletic kid. I didn't have huge muscles or anything. I was just keen on winning. Right. So you couple that sales mentality and the keen on winning. That's how I first got into sales. And then entrepreneurship, I, I was always that kid in 
elementary and high school uh, where I'd say, hey, you know, come on over. Let's, uh, let's do the, the boxing fight for the night, right? Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson. I remember that one and two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or the one where someone jumped in Vegas and landed in the ring. <laughs> uh, but I'd always have people to the house. And so I knew that there was something about being able to corral a group of individuals into mm-hmm. doing things that I wanted them to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was fun and I, I enjoy it, you know, and there's just that feeling of seeing somebody go from a entry level rep to a manager or VP themselves just multiple times where they'll call me or they'll send me an email and say, Chad, thank you so much for your help early in my career. And, and those, those are the things that get me most excited. Oh, that's so cool. So, obviously, you're a connector. Big and time. You, and you believe in the power of connection, obviously, because what you just said. So, I'm just curious about how you maintain really good connection with your employees and, and your coworkers, your colleagues, everybody, with all of the interesting distancing we have these days and all of the seeming barriers like how do you how do you maintain that ability to keep connected and connecting well i had the luxury of working for webex in 2005 to 2007 Mm -hmm. so even in the office we were using webex to do a broadcast to the whole office right the vp might be in a corner office and we've got two floors in Phoenix, Arizona. We've got a floor in Sacramento. And we were one of the first at the time to roll out video like in a Zoom meeting, right? And so that opened my eyes to what's mm. possible. When I'm sitting next to Rick Johnson in a cubicle next to me, and we're both on the same web meeting being broadcast from a guy down the hall, I was like, oh, this is how it works. This means you could live in Hawaii or anywhere else you want to live. So that's what actually gave me permission when I was, I'll call it air quotes permission. In, you know, 07, I moved to San Francisco. I wanted to explore the world. Uh, I moved to Scottsdale, Arizona. We moved to North Carolina. We just moved all over the place because you can, you can do these meetings and connect in a real meaningful way, right. I think of it as even better than being in person. Because here, I could go to a screen share or I could, I could have notes and you wouldn't even know it that I'm reading on the side of my screen. There's mm-hmm. so many business values of being able to talk through the computer equal or better than if you were in person. Hmm. So you're not buying that one. <laughs> well, no, actually, what I, here's what I'm thinking about. I interviewed a woman who who um, actually is in San Francisco, and one of the things she said about video meetings is that she's very short, and how when she was out in the corporate world, she wasn't really taken seriously because of her height. Mm. And I laugh because I'm four eleven mm. too, and I've been elbowed by more people putting their hands on their hips in networking meetings than I'd care to know about. But I don't know that I've ever really had exactly that same experience. So I was just thinking about that equalizing effect mm. of that from when you, when you were speaking is the equalizing effect of if it's all on video, then those kinds of things of, of height or differences in some ways aren't necessarily going to even subconsciously play in because 
you can't tell that we're different heights. That's perfect. You're a hundred percent right. My first job, the reason I was fired looking back was because of me. Oh, what'd <laughs> because- you do? When I would sit down with someone, if I'm looking you in the eyes, I really had a problem with it. I, I, whatever it was, I was subconscious of, should I look at your nose? Should I look at your ear? Or, oh. And there was just a problem. And so, any, my thought process wouldn't work properly. So, all the learning that I did, it took me a few years to get through that. By the time I went to FedEx and went to Memphis for a three-week training program, I've still got, you know, number one in the class, essential selling skills. We did it on video camera. We did face-to-face. By then, I had put in my unconscious competence, understanding and knowledge of the selling. And so, now I could, I could focus on, okay, let me, let me talk to you like a normal person. But I really had to get out of my own way with that. And I found when I was on on a web meeting, all that's, all that's gone and nobody knew it on the other side. <laughs> that's crazy. So that's like a really neat secondary gain of video because a lot of times when people say connection is I miss human connection, which, you know, we all need it anyway too, but it makes it so that we, we can have more of a, of an equal connection with different people. Like we wouldn't know each other if it wasn't for electronics and video meetings. And right. I'm glad I met you. Like, I'm like, cool. Right. I have a new person I know. That's really now, let me Let me share a hack with you that I learned a year and a half ago. And I've now probably 200 conversations deep into this hack. What is it? And it works about 98% of the time. Uh-huh. So, traditionally, I've lived on the surface, right? When I meet someone, oh, hey, what's the weather like? Or, oh, where'd you go to school? Oh, you're a pastor. Like, when we talked, oh, you're mm-hmm. a pastor. Where'd you, where were you a pastor? This simple exercise, I saw done by a guy named Rich Litvin. He lives in Los Angeles and he did this, this event called the Litvin Intensive. And it was four days and it's a room full of life coaches. And I was like, huh, I got invited with the golden ticket. So I was a prospect to one of the coaches who was in the room. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm into adventure. So let's go. <laughs> well, he starts getting people to stand up and he would, he had a, um, microphone and I would say Diane how would you like to be coached by me <laughs> and people were like wow yeah I want to be coached you know and they'd stand up and and they'd, they'd start out kind of timid and say well I'm just getting into coaching and um, I really don't have any clients yet okay and cool got it so that's the business problem or whatever life right. problem Take me back to when you were in college. What was your passion like then? Right? So, in fact, we could play this out because then it'll be interesting for your audience. We'll flip the <laughs> script here. So, what did you, what, what was fun. your major or what was your, um, what did you do in college? Undergraduate or graduate? Uh, let's talk about both. What was graduate first? Uh, my we'll graduate degree is in rehab counseling, rehabilitation counseling. Um, and then my undergraduate studies were in psychology with a minor in chemistry. And I've also studied theology and divinity and natural health. That's amazing. Wow. I just did a walk this morning with a guy who was complete alcoholic, um, had challenges with his dad that will leave in the box. Um, Suffice it to say it was highly disruptive to him as a kid. It led to him chasing drugs and alcohol yep. to the point where he got a call from 
a gentleman that's a friend of his one day and he had his suicide note out on the table. He was ready to call it a day mm-hmm. and he got a call and the, go- and the call said, Hey, Tony, I'm coming to your house today. I just felt like there was a tap on my shoulder and I need to show up in your life. Let's meet. So here I okay, am. come on over. So he puts away all the gear and the note and everything else. And, and he shows up at the house and they talk for an hour and a half. Hey, you're, you're amazing. You know, I've, I've noticed though, you're a little bit drinking a little more than usual and maybe into some other stuff. Two minutes after that guy leaves, the pastor calls, Hey, I want to come to your house. And it was, he was like, there's no, other re, there's no other definition or no other reason why this would have happened if it wasn't from the creator. Like, right. pawn in the game, here you go. And so now he's going to write a show called Flip the, Flip the Switch. Because mm-hmm. for him, it's either a zero or a one. There's no gray area. Right. You either drink or you don't drink. Right. And he's made the decision. He has to make the decision every single day mm-hmm. for that. Right. Okay, so we've gone to graduate school and then, and then college, undergrad. Now think this is where it gets interesting, right? Now okay. think back to when some of your first memories, usually the age six is what Rich would use. So think when you were six, mm-hmm. what were you passionate about? Like Rich. what really lit you up when you were six? Sailing. Sailing. Where? In Sarasota. We lived in Sarasota, Florida, and my parents, um, they met sailing, so we, I was just born into it, and by the time I was six, I'd won my first race. I love, love, love sailing. Like, wow. I live to be on a sailboat, pretty much. Oh, that is so cool. So, do you have a sailboat, or do you rent sailboats nowadays? Um, I don't own one now. I sail for other people. I'm a member of Davis Island Yacht Club. And we are the sailing is club in the South. There's tons of boats there. So I sail with other people now. Got it. Wow. That's really cool. So how does sailing relate to your undergrad and your postgrad? Well, or does it lots of different ways, tons of different ways, mostly because I really believe in living emotionally and spiritually and mentally like aligned and having like an equilibrium. And so sailing is takes is the second most dangerous sport in the world. So it takes a lot of physical ability. It takes a lot of mental ability. It's like a moving chess match. You have to understand sail, camber, hydrodynamics, boats, uh, strategy, all that. And it's spiritual to me. Um, I wouldn't have called it spiritual back then, but it is. Mm. And that being one with nature and being really connected. And I've always been fascinated by the human mind and how we think and how we figure and what we do. And every time I'd have a party in high school or college, I'd be up in my room pretty much counseling everybody before I even knew it was a counseling thing while the party was going on because, Diane, I need to talk to you. So it just kind of all naturally came together. That's really neat. So what I can see, I think of it now, this isn't a rich thing. This is a Chad thing. I think of it like there's a, 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 a string or a rope and you just snap it and you go, okay, here's life when I was six mm-hmm. and here's what I'm doing now. And what's interesting is most of the time Mm -hmm. people are living in the lane that they're meant to live, that God created them to do. Mm -hmm. Occasionally people are living outside of the line and it could be by one degree. And if it's one degree out, it could feel like so much friction, even though you're just like one inch away from gold, you're digging for gold in the ground. You're like, oh, I just give up. And one more inch and you would have been there or 12 mm-hmm. more inches is in the book, I think. 
So what, what it took for me was when Rich did that exercise with nice. multiple people throughout the weekend. There was a woman from the UN who said, I've never coached anyone before. And he would pull out, <laughs> this is hilarious. He pulled out a TV remote and he goes, pause. And then he could talk about the person in front of the other 150 <laughs> coaches without actually making them feel bad. Cause he's like, okay, I'm going to do this from time to time throughout the weekend. Pause. He goes, this woman who's, and she's, I think also maybe four foot 11 or something. Um, this woman here, she works for the UN. She not only coaches individuals, she coaches presidents of countries for more than two decades. She's saved tens of thousands of people's lives, diverted trillions of dollars in funds, and she's trying to right now enroll you in the fact that she's never coached anyone. Unpause. <laughs> right? and you're like, like perspective. Wow. Yep. Perspective. So you see this time and time and time again. Another woman, oh man, she was in my small group at the breakouts at the tables. She is a chief. I don't want to get the word wrong. It's not a chief executive assistant. It's a chief administrator like a big wig role at a big telco. Mm -hmm. It's one you would know about. Mm -hmm. And she's the chairman's and CEO's right-hand gal. Right. And so she is so buttoned up. And she was interviewing for a position to help women in leadership, right? And it was a noble cause. And, and she's there. And by the last day, she's like, I haven't gotten what I needed to get out of this. I have a presentation that's due tomorrow and I'm in front of all these people and it's 10 other women are going for this spot. I need this. And so the people get her to stand up, right? So she stands up and he's like, so how important is this? And all this, she had told this story in her head that tomorrow was the day make or break. Well, she'd already gotten into the program. She was one of 10. By the time he unraveled the story, then he goes, take me back to when you're a kid. What'd you like to do? And she just gets the chills and she goes, you know, I really, really loved helping my mother set the table and making everything perfect for the guests. Cause we would have guests at our house a lot, all the time. And it was fabulous just to see the plates. And I was the person that was just like, helping my mom and dad make that a special moment for all these people. Mm -hmm. And so by her realizing, so Rich said, you know, why don't you, when you go do the interview, instead of all this stuff about, why don't you just be vulnerable and share that story? You know, when I was a kid and I remember when I was first memories I had, right. I would set the table and the, you know how it is, the, the salad fork and the mm -hmm. big fork and the little fork and the knife. I love that. You know, and he talks her through this and she, she flipped the, the bottle of champagne unpopped and right. she had her life moment to realize I am perfectly in my lane and it's mm -hmm. perfectly okay for me to be outward about this and not be right. afraid of it. Right. Okay. So now you see this time and time again at 4 a.m. I wake up and I didn't do the stand up. Let's do this in public with 150 people. I did it in private. Right. So for me, I just kind of teared up in the hotel room mm -hmm. and I was like, you know, 
does my dad really, did my dad really love me as a kid? Because he didn't go to the soccer games or the swim meets or the lacrosse games. Mom did. So I was 100% positive mom loved me. But I always had this question mark. And then he never really said it to me physically. Mm-hmm. Never really gave you a hug. Now, my sister comes along, born 12 years after me, roughly. Said I love you to my sister all the time. Gave her a hug all the time. And so now I'm this teenager kid going, wait a second. You say it to her, maybe I'm not recognized. What am I, chopped liver? So then through life, if you fast forward the tape and you see a lot of the things that I did were to try to gain favor with my dad. Mm, Yes. Right? And so that was the unpopping of the cork that third night of the four days at 4 a.m. in the morning. I went in and I was just like, this is magic. What we just learned and experienced And then I was able to do that with another guy who's sitting next to me on the couch goes, man, I don't know if I got what I needed out of this. And I walked him through the same exact exercise. And he was a police officer turned uh, life coach. And he was like, I don't know if I'm ready for it. And I just walked him through the same episode. And he was like, boom, the cork popped for him. Right. Exactly. So how did you take your lesson that you learned about with your the thing from your dad Mm -hmm. and you're a father, how have you taken that message, that lesson and incorporated it into your family and your relationships? Mm, That's a, that's a really good one. Uh, When I first came home, my plan was to go right from the airport to talk to my dad first. Right. Of course. It ended up taking six weeks for me to have that conversation. And I didn't think it would. Right. Who did I end up talking it through four pages of notes? My daughter, who was, this was, she was 16 at the time. And so I actually shared my story with my daughter. Mm -hmm. And it was the first person on the planet earth that I'd have ever shared it with. Wow. And so I just teared up and I was like, wow. And I said, you know, I really, I need to share this with my dad. And we had a connection moment because she's like, oh. You're just a person too. (laughs) Right, right. And so I think that helped to sort of expose that. Then I shared it with my wife and then I shared it with my son, all in different moments um, Mm -hmm. that was really a a bonding kind of a conversation. It was so amazing. And so how did that vulnerability change your relationships or did it? Like you took the risk, which is huge. Yeah. And- And so, how did it, how did the trajectory of the relationship shift or Um, did they? It did. It definitely did, especially in the short term, like an amazing level of connectivity. Mm -hmm. Um, As I hired mindset experts and a financial expert, you know, I have about nine coaches for my business that I've hired in the last year and a half since that event. Right. (laughs) Or maybe two years. And, and so I feel like I'm up-leveling my mindset every day. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because with my wife, she doesn't have the luxury of having nine mindset coaches that help you break the next level of barriers. So there's a book I read from, I think his name is Gay Hendricks, and it's a picture of a fishbowl, a small fishbowl jumping into a big mm-hmm. fishbowl. Right. And it talks about the temperature being at a certain level, maybe let's say it's 71 degrees. And you start moving it up or down or however you look at it. 
and just changing, right, to a new level of success. Right. And your normal mindset would be to want to pull it back to where you are, the same level of success. Like, I'm in this box. I make this much per year. The forces of nature and of your family and of your own mindset, it's mostly right here in between your two years, (laughs) (laughs) it turns out, tend to pull you back. And, And I've felt that because I haven't invested the cycles in bringing my wife along in those same levels of conversation, it, it tends to want to pull us back to the 71 degrees. Right. And yet I'm pot committed to figuring out how do we both get to that new level of exceptionalism. Right. And that's kind of where the art and the science of it all is, because there's a lot of science behind understanding. And then there's that creative art piece is how are we going to do it? How are we going to navigate to keep expanding? Because I always tell everybody the universe is always expanding and unity, diversity and, and complexity. So if we're not willing to continue to expand at the end result, even if we stay at that same 71 degrees, we're actually going backwards. Mm, yeah, that's good. you know, because it's all, we're always meant to be expanding. So even though our mission might be the same thing all our life, the iteration is going to shift over time. Like it's when people tell me I'm reinventing myself. I'm like, well, you can't reinvent what's already been invented. That makes no sense. You might reinvent how you express your authentic inner self, but that's not a reinvention. That's a different iteration. And people look at me like I'm a little goofy sometimes, but it's, I think it's important to realize that like we were all created perfect, whole, and complete. We're fully equipped to do everything that we're meant to do. The only, like you said, the only issue is right here and whatever we believe or don't believe or consciously and unconsciously, you know? The thing that really helped me, I was in a coaching session with a guy named Townsend Wardlaw and I've known him for eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. And he'll just pop by the office when I had a physical office in downtown Denver once a quarter. Hey, how you doing? Just checking in. And he would just, he would help me get over the hurdle of why are you inside the four walls working for a company? Because he knows me. You need to be an entrepreneur. That's what you're meant to do. Right. Like, I don't like politics. I don't, I like to break the rules. There's just, I had a mohawk when I was 17 years old. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're a rebel and, you know. So it's time to be that rebel. Yeah, it's totally, it was totally time to be the rebel. So he had a session with me maybe, again, a year and a half ago. A lot goes back to a year and a half ago, I think. When I cracked the code with my dad and then had the talk with him right. and realized, then my mom and dad both came back and we, we broke down crying that night. And, and then my mom came back and goes, actually, you know, he was at, here's a picture. Here's him on the sidelines at this one and this one. You tell your own story. So sure, he was, he's a radiologist. He was working on weekends a lot of times. And we lived in a nice house and had a nice car as a direct result of that. So it wasn't the not love you thing. That was a made up story in my head. It was right. how he showed it was the piece that was, could have been improved. And right. now, now guess what? He overdoes it too much well, now. Th- but right. that, back then he was following the belief systems that he was taught in his generation, his time frame was to provide for everybody and that is love. And nobody had the awareness that us, the kids, were taking it in in different ways because the brain right. makes up the story to fill in the unknown, right. even if it's not true. Right. Yeah. So I just, I can't stress enough the importance of go back to your childhood, 
when you were six. It could have been traumatic. Mine was not abusive. Mine was not a bad thing. My dad's a radiologist. We live in a nice house. And yet I still had some level of mm-hmm. mental, mental trauma, if you will, um, that caused me. Now, guess what? Looking back, that was a spark that lit a lot of my business and sales career and gave me superpower strengths because I fought through it all and I needed to prove to my dad, oh, you to- he told me one year how much money he made. And he goes, you're not allowed to tell anyone this because this is kind of like under NDA. <laughs> and I was right. like, okay, sure. And I looked at it as, you're not going to be as successful as me. And, and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you're a doctor. That's, I can be as successful as you. So I started to go the path of the doctor. And I was like, whoa, that's way too much memorization. I was smart enough to do it, but I was way too bored to be able to do that kind of thing. <laughs> Chemistry, <laughs> physics. Finally, I moved over to uh, business. And then the business law book was big too. And I was like, oh, I'm doomed. Memorization, this is terrible. Uh, but then you find your lane. And once you find your lane, then it's just put the raft in the river and go down and enjoy the pictures all the way down. Right. right now I'm living in frictionless world. It's awesome. It's awesome. So how did you make the jump? What happened <clears throat> that you actually like made the jump? Like, was it a little jump or did you just um, go yeah, all well, in or actually, how did that work? <clears throat> the all in was interesting. <laughs> December 11th, 2019. Just pre-pandemic, I was in New York City, and I, I was a little stressed because in March of 2019, I had a bad month, and it, it caused a ripple where I was like, oh, finances and stress, and how do I, you know, I, I'm responsible for people now, what, what do I do with this? And so, <clears throat> I did my presentation on the last day. Of the, it's always the last day with these events. What's that, what's that all about? <laughs> oh, I don't, there's a theme going on here. Yeah, there's a theme here. <laughs> yeah. He did say, raise your hands if you want to be coached by me. And I'm like, I didn't know what it was at the Rich Litman one. And then, he, and then he goes, okay, pause. And there's some people like alligator arms and some people with this. And he goes, okay, that's how you live your life. So, it is an eye-opening moment. That is how I live my life, apparently. A little bit conservative. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> in that area. So anyway, I'm in New York City and Jeff Hazlett is the former CMO of Eastman Kodak and he runs a group called the C-Suite Network. And there's this woman named Julie Juju Christopher <clears throat> who seems to be almost angelic to me, prophetic <laughs> to the point where you're like, is that okay? Or am I not <laughs> supposed to be following a prophet? And you know, fortune telling and all this kind of stuff. But I go through my story for 30 to 45 minutes and I'm like, I just get the, you know, butterflies in my stomach around finances and blah, blah, blah. And so all these 50, 60 CEOs go around the room. They're like, can I give some advice? And they're all dumping it on me. They're like, yeah, those butterflies, they'll never go away. If you don't have them a little bit, then you're doing something wrong. You should all, and I'm like, oh, okay. Finally, Juju stands up and she goes, she, she's this from <laughs> France or she's just got this look about her. She used to play uh, instrument check. She still does. She plays instruments very, very well. And she just stands up and she's got this French accent. And she just claps her hands and stop the moment. She goes, here's the thing, Chad, what you've just shared with you, you need to make a decision. And here's the hole in the universe right now. You either need to walk forward and decide you want to be a CEO 
or you need to stay back in 2019 and be a salesperson for the rest of your life. And I'm drawn like a magnet. I'm like, okay. And I just walked three, four steps forward. I felt like I went through the hole and I was like, okay. And that, that was the final flipping moment for me. Yes. Yes. That, that it just happened. Right. And then we all closed with a prayer. There was another woman, Holly from Denver, who turns out to be a former pastor and she does mindset training and she stood up and she goes, you know, normally we don't bring in uh, prayer to, to these kinds of environments, but at the risk of this group, I felt like we've made a bond over the last four days. Can we just hold hands and say a prayer? And she, she said, okay, what's the one word that describes what you've gotten out of the last four days? What are you going to take forward? And now I have to think back. What was my word? <laughs> um, I think it was, no, it, it, clarity was my word. Ooh, good one. Good one. Like, good one. I, I was like, I just want the lights on in the dark room and I'm looking for clarity. And the rest is history. I mean, now we're planning on, we may go buy a $10 million house in Beaver Creek and fund it by having executives out mm-hmm. to help them transform their lives and have coaches come in. We're writing a book. And now it's the friction's gone. A year ago, I would have said, $10 million house, you must be joking. And my family would have said, you're crazy. And nowadays, I can tell my family things, and then they see it actually happen, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh, <laughs> wow, you're a right. different kind of different kind of person." Yeah. Well, mindset, and then the the willingness to take the risk. Like when you said, "Make a decision." You know that that word means to cut out all other possibilities. Mm-hmm. So once we truly decide, everything, all other possibilities are now out the window. That's the one choice. Mm. And so by doing that you were able to get in alignment with what you knew you wanted anyway. Yes. So now my son went to college. He's happy as a clam. And he's aligned, by the way. He's he's going to be an engineer. So we had him do some of the online tests that say, where is it frictionless for you? And so if you haven't done that and you're listening to the show, I highly encourage. There's so many. Wealth Dynamics is one that I went and I paid I think I paid half price. I had a discount code. So if you need a discount code, email me and I'll figure out what it is, but it's half off. So it's a hundred dollar thing for 50 bucks. And it it told me that I'm a creator first and I'm a mechanic second Mm -hmm. because I build stuff. I'm now mechanic. Isn't my passion, right? My son would be flipped. He'd be the mechanic, right? Because he loves to be an engineer and he, he, needs things very clearly defined, A, then B, then C, right? So I just talked to him today and we were building out the plan for the cruise ship. We just booked a cruise in July of next year. We figured that's plenty of time to let everything go away and everybody will be healthy by then. (laughs) And so I was like, hey, what do you want to do as far as the events? And I said, definitely we want to fish and catch a can. He's like, yes, good. I'm good with that. And then I said, he goes, "Ah, I'm not really too concerned. I know, I know that's incorrect because he needs everything to find. He likes to have it planned. So yeah. I said, so, so are you saying you'd, it'd be okay if I just went and checked them off for you? He's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely want to be part of the, of the decision process. I was like, okay, cool. Got it. 
right? But he doesn't want to just go on the ship and then hear from people and then decide where to go. So it's so important, whether you're 45, 75, or 10, if you haven't done the skills assessment to figure out what is a frictionless life for you, you know, there's so many of these, you should do it, whether it's wealth dynamics or free ones or whatever. Right. I mean, I've done a ton of them and I keep doing all the different assessments here and there. And, and I work with people who are really highly sensitive, who are mostly entrepreneurs and mostly musicians, but there's that common thread of being a visionary and seeing things a little differently. And, but yet there's the processing piece. Like some people don't care about all those, those things. Other people have to do it themselves. There's all the different things. And so part of being effective, I think, and successful is knowing our own personal way and then honoring that, like not trying to make ourselves be something we're not. Yes, right. And you can do that, make something, make yourself be something you're not. If you tell a story from your childhood, I think that's why if you say, go back to six, take out before you met your pastor, your parents, before you've really had any stamp on you of what the world is, mm-hmm. what were you passionate about? And that's right. why when I ask you about the, you know, you're, you're, it's easy. You're like, oh, a boat. And here's why. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't immediately connect the dots, but you have between the boating and chemistry and balance. It's yin and yang. When I, I see the balance in Star Wars, in fact, in my bookcase, I've got Darth Vader on one side and Luke on the other. Yes. And it's like, it's a yin and a yang and a good and an evil. And man, this year is one of those heat ups. The yes. battle is on between our, for our souls is what it feels like to me. Yeah. It's much deeper than people realize, I think. Yes. I mean, with the Middle East treaty thing that's going on, you know, I heard someone speak at a church recently and he was like, you don't understand. Like this is 80 years of getting to this point to where Israel and the U.S. are, are tied at the hip. Now, there's other powers and forces that would say, oh, no, that's, that's not a good thing in the balance. But it's biblical and it's one more step towards the glory of God, which is end of days could be tomorrow. It could be in 500 million years. No one knows. But as long as you have the belief and understanding that that's all good on the other side of the hill, then you don't worry about what's going on today. <laughs> have fun today. So fun. how do you personally um, bring together the whole art and science thing, like the technical piece of your work, but you're also visionary or you wouldn't be running a company that that's on the forward edge of technology, right? So you, mm-hmm. that's by definition. So with your teams and even within yourself, how do you marry those two things? How do you reconcile the art creative vision, Chad, and the scientific, I understand the rules, yeah. businessman, It's Chad. the creator I, and the mechanic is what it yes. is because I'm not passionate about the operation side. And yet mm. I've learned how to do it and I'm good at it, or even you could say, great, it's just not a passion. So the way that I've built that as my secondary trait of a positive skill set, and the reason I'm creator and mechanic, which by the way, 80% of all the people in the room at the latest retreat that we went to of all these CEOs and founders, creator, mechanic, creator, mechanic. Maybe there was one other thing that jumped ahead of mechanic, but what I do, I remember seeing, in fact, I've got the glass of water right here. I remember seeing this 30-minute show, and, and I think it might have been in 
black and white, a really grainy uh, color. <laughs> and the big rocks, have you heard of the big rocks uh, situation? Yes. Or exercise? Yeah. So, you, you know, hey, here's the rock called uh, health. Here's the rock called happiness. Here's the rock. And so to me, if you put it in business terms, here's the rock called creativeness. Here's the rock called uh, operations, making mm-hmm. sure the customer's happy, et cetera, et cetera. Right. If you were to fill the glass with stuff that comes at you and just pour it full of sand, it would fill up to like three quarters. Mm-hmm. And then you try to put in the priorities and there's no way you could jam them into the top of the glass. But if you put the priorities in first and you block out your calendar, yes. that's the big rock. You just say, hey, for two hours, mm-hmm. this is my big rock. Whether it's playing golf, maybe that's important to you. Maybe it's practicing your craft. If you're a guitar player, you need to spend two hours a day on it. Occasionally, look, I've got a big rock and it gets bitten into sometimes. That's okay. It's a rounding error. Mm-hmm. You know, on the right. whole, if it's 90% of the time that I'm focusing on the big rocks, that's how you do it. Put those in the glass first. And then when life comes at you with all of the demands, hey, I need you to f- help me with this carpet repair job. I know you're a musician and I know you do carpet on the side. I know a bass player who's a top bass player for a metal band. Right. And he does carpet laying on the weekends pretty normal thing, I think. So it'd be real easy for him to go, oh man, I've got this job for 14 days and I can make $8,000 or $4,000. Or I can go play on the tour in Europe and I know I'm not going to make quite as much as that. How do you balance that? And you just have to have those priorities in your, in your job and in your life. Right. And I, and blocking it off and I, you know, it's kind of like dedicated and protected. Mm-hmm. And so that only something that's really urgent gets in the way, right? So that we're committed to it, that that's what we're doing. Yeah, I'm doing the new one now. And I mentioned this to you, I believe, when we had the pre-call. Um, it's called 75 Hard. I thought it was 75 yes. Strong. I don't know why it's called 75 Hard. It just is. And it's an app on your phone. And what it means is I, I did a run three days ago. And... I've seen three people tell me, oh, you should check out this app and sign up and do it. So I'm on the run. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. I didn't even read the rules and instructions. <laughs> I just said, okay, you told me three times I'm not going to f- not follow your lead. And so I was like, okay, I'm doing it. So, <laughs> right? I was like, okay, do a, do. I'm not going to, I mean, I, I don't think I could die from this, but uh, it's pretty intense. First workout, 45 minutes. Second workout, same day, another 45 minutes. Then you take a progress picture of the progress. This is a 75-day routine, and I'm on day three. 10 pages of reading. So before midnight, I have to read 10 pages in a book. So that's 750 pages of reading I'll do in 75 days. Mm -hmm. When you chunk it down to the ridiculous, it's not really that hard. I drink one gallon of water a day. And then follow a diet that I come up with. So that's nice because I can make up what you I come want. up with. There you go. The yin and the yang of this, I think, are going to balance themselves out. Because mm-hmm. if you're working out for 45 minutes times two, then mm-hmm. I could eat a candy bar and it'll be consumed by the workout. And then no cheat on meals and no alcohol for 75 days. So as a result of this, the way they sell it is 
self-perception, self-worth. There's so many values to this and things that you learn about yourself mm-hmm. that, you know, just in the first three days, I'm like, oh, wow, that, okay, got it. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, but yeah, yeah, by following a routine, just like the big rocks, when it comes to putting placeholders on your calendar, following a routine like this, whether it's working out or practicing for a musical instrument or whatever, you just have to commit to it and follow through and do it. Make the decision. Flip the switch. Right. Making the decision. That's key. That's extremely important. So what do you do for fun? I'm a big skier. To me, skiing is my sailboating. I can be on the mountain. Yeah, snow ski. My son snowboards. I ski. I went to a place called Maple Summit in February of this year, and it was 48 CEOs, and just getting, it's a workout, and it's great for the mind all in one, and so to me, when I'm listening to my music and just arms out sometimes, or I'm going down the bumps, the feeling of just not a care in the world Mm -hmm. is just amazing. That sounds beautiful. Yeah. I've never been snow skiing and everybody tells me I'd be really good at it since I have a low center of gravity and very strong legs and good balance. So I, maybe I'll try that someday. I mean, these days with the, with the really fat skis, it's just, you, just, you just push a little and it turns. In the past, it was like dragging along two big planks. Nowadays, it's gotten 90% more efficient than it used to be when I was younger. Oh, wow. Cool. So much fun. Oh, that's really fun. So have you ever had trouble in your life with um, procrastination? <clears throat> and if you have, how have you ha- dealt with it? Um, I, I've been pretty good at, at prioritization and getting the job done. Um, like I said, the big rocks is the key. You put it on your calendar and it just gets done. Now, there's certain things. There's, there's, if you draw the quadrant and you say, Urgent and important is upper right. Mm-hmm. Uh, urgent and not important is left. And then important, not urgent. That's the hardest quadrant to go after, the important and not urgent. Because yes. you know you need to do it, but oh, that workout can wait till tomorrow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? And so that's, that's, a, that's a fine balance of keeping the urgent and not important quadrant in in sight because that's the only way you can build the blueprint for your life otherwise you're just following and you're always chasing you you have to have the blueprint i tk cater uh, was my mentor for about a year a year there and he was the i'm looking for a picture but i don't see it he was the former head of he was the ceo of a company called tout app which was a tech company mm-hmm. that went from 100 employees down to 10 or 12. And you would think, oh, well, that's terrible. You know, and he was the number one company in this space. And then they got bought by a company called Marketo. And he became head of strategy for Marketo. Then he sold, he helped architect the sale of Marketo to Adobe for multiple billions of dollars. And he made millions of dollars in the process. And he went from being overweight to running the head of strategy and being in very good shape mentally and physically over a 10 year period, started a company, sold it, sold it again, sold it again, made millions of dollars. And it's as simple as 
what did I, what did I do last week? And what am I going to do next week? Right. Yep. And when you celebrate the week before and you're like, wow, I did a lot. I sold a $5,000 deal and I went to the retreat in the mountains and I came up with a book and blah, blah, blah. If you list that in a Google doc, and then here's the three things I'm going to do next week that help me get to whatever that goal is. Mm-hmm. You'll find that each 52 of those, you're going to be 52 steps ahead of most other people in the country. Right. Yeah, especially because it'll be focused. Yeah. So I'm hearing you say, and I, I want to make sure that I've got this down correctly, um, that personal development and self-care are essential to being successful. If we're not always growing, we're not putting ourselves in those growth, personal development kinds of situations, then success will elude us in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is so important because I, I see people a lot think they can just jump on the success wagon or figure it out, but they're not doing all the other things about taking care of themselves and learning and being open and teachable. I mean, you've demonstrated in this interview so far a small piece of how open and receptive you are to learning from, learning from others, learning things, and then trying them out and implementing them and seeing how it all comes together in the puzzle of your life which makes you an effective business owner. Is that fair to say? Yeah. 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 I, think it's, I think it's very important. I, um, I've interviewed a bunch of, lots of, lots of people on this podcast, and, and I had this one attorney one time shortly after I started, and he's a Lemon Law attorney and really cool guy. And I'm thinking, I wonder what I'm going to talk to a Lemon Law attorney about, like visionary-wise. Like, I wonder where this is going to go. And then near the end – of the show, he just started talking about the importance of his own personal development and he wouldn't be where he was without personal mm-hmm. development. And so, but he didn't present like he was going to talk about that and it wasn't in his bio or anything. It just, he just started talking about that was real to him, that he had to keep growing and being open or he would never be in the position he is in. And that's what you are saying. Yeah. Same well, and thing. I would couple it with one other thing. Let me my grandfather sent me a note when I was in eighth grade at the same time that he gave me this. So it was plus or minus six months or so. Okay. And it was the 10 tips to live like a fulfilled life. And I still have it in handwriting. And, you know, number one, the Lord, your God above anything else. Right. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Right. And then number three, health, physical and mental. And he, he wrote a story under each of those headers how one guy in their neighborhood when he was younger was like the guy in school and then went off and just slipped his way into drugs and alcohol and then became like a clown and just didn't make it in life. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy that that yin and yang falls out of balance that I think that's why your sailboat analogy is so on point. And so for anybody who has their own analogy – for me, it's Star Wars, Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker. How do I keep that in balance? Mm-hmm. I've always told my wife, if I ever got to a point where like alcohol impacted my ability to be a good husband or uh, my job or career, because I like, I like having two or three glasses of wine. I'll have three and Tracy will have one. <laughs> and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, and what's the tipping point where you go, oh, wow, that's now a dependency. And you don't know it when you're in it. 
And right. now my now my perspective on alcohol is really there's not a huge ROI. There is I, I say there is no ROI. There is now. no ROI. There really is no ROI. And it's like, wow. That maybe there was when I was 21 years old and I wanted to meet a girl and I had inhibitions I had to get around. Right. Yeah, okay, maybe there was a one or two year period where where uh, that may have been a, a positive thing, but uh, it, it, it probably is actually negative because it, it, it develops you in an area that you shouldn't be developing in. <laughs> correct. <laughs> right. That's correct. You got it. Right. I, I agree totally. And I've interviewed a lot of people who said, you know, I looked at it and alcohol was not serving where mm-hmm. I wanted to go and I just stopped. Yeah. And it wasn't yeah. because they were alcoholic or they were in trouble, but they assessed the situation where they wanted to go and what was happening and they decided that there was no ROI on that, that piece. And so it was actually in the way. And so my point of that last piece is back to what we started, the your will be done piece. Mm-hmm. I found that when I handed the keys over to the car, so to speak, I still have my hand on the wheel sometimes. But as much as I try to say, you know what, when you put me in the frictionless path, mm-hmm. Who who do you want in my life? Who should show up? And then when I do that, it's like Rich Blakeman, the former SVP from Miller Hyman, the number one sales training organization in the world. He calls and he's like, "Hey, I'm looking for a position. Do you know anybody in town hiring?" I'm like, "Well, I'm I'm not, but I should be. Let's have <laughs> let's have you over to the fire pit." We talked three hours about God and one hour about the the job, and we aligned on a belief system first. And then it was like, man, you're the best salesman probably in the world. And now me and him are aligned. And that wouldn't have happened if I didn't say, hand it over. Right. That's the key to me. Yeah, I think it's definitely a key. So um, I have one last question for you. Um, But before I ask that question, I want to know if there's anything that's on your heart that you wanted to share that you haven't yet, that I haven't asked you or didn't come up, but you really want to make sure. You know, once I posted on LinkedIn five or six years ago and I said, hey, if you need to talk, my phone's available and I would talk to anybody anytime about anything. And one person reached out and took me up on the offer and he was about to be kicked out of his house. He was about to become homeless. He had three kids and we talked for an hour and then I introduced him to some people and then fast forward a year later, I gave him the your will be done prayer and I just said, look, dude, you're trying to fight it too hard. Just give it away. Like give it, give it mm-hmm. to God and ask him, what do you want? Like I'll do anything you need. And so he was into alcohol. He stopped drinking. A year later, he was a director of a group with a team of two or three people. And he was like, man, I got to tell you that talk saved my life. Mm-hmm. So that would be my, that's what's on my heart here is that if somebody hears it, whether they're in another country or whatever, if they said, you know, this guy just kind of struck a nerve. Maybe if I talked to him for 30 minutes, maybe I could get out of the dark and into the light. Right. That would be my offer. I, no strings attached. I would just be happy to have the conversation. Oh, that would be wonderful. We'll make sure all of your contact information is in the show notes. But that is really huge because sometimes just hearing from another person who gets it makes all the difference in the world. And yeah. The show is called Someone Gets Me for a reason. So you That's have the right. ability to get people. And and that is a beautiful thing. Thank you for offering that. That's really kind. So your last question is. 
if there was a billboard that we were going to put up in the world that it's going to have your name as the quote on it, what would our quote be for the whole world to see from Chad Burmeister? The, the, I keep talking about your will be done and that, that's hard for me to get away from because it's so powerful for me right now. Um, how about the billboard says your will was done because uh-huh. if I fast forward the tape, then did I do everything in my power to do the right thing for, mm-hmm. for people? Right. And for my grandfather, he made a big impact on me. Harold Schilling was a HR person at mobile oil and he cared about his people. And he was like, you know, I I think he said he never fired anyone, but that was probably, that'd be an exaggeration, but he he was just such a caring and gentle person. Mm -hmm. And he always carried God on his sleeve wherever he went. Mm -hmm. And I'm at the point in my, my life and career at age 47 to go, you know what? I'm only on the first nine holes of golf. We're about to go to the back nine and we're at the turn. Okay, now it's time to live in the live in the lane that I was called to live in. Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. So if you're listening to Chad and you're going, wow, there's something I need to know more. I need to learn more. I just want to connect with him. He just offered. So hunt him down and connect with him. And if you're listening and you had some, some of those questions or like, what? Listen to him again. He said so many wise things that I think really had to do with the art and science of being successful and how it all comes together. And in my world, it's the spiritual piece that bring them together and bridge it. And that's what I'm hearing Chad say as well. So see how, try it all on. See how it works for you. Thank you for being on the show, Chad. Thank you for having me, Diane. Amazing. Now remember everybody to keep your face to the sun so the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star and you're here on purpose with a purpose. So go out there and live your life with that light from within you shining brightly. And until the next episode of Someone Gets Me, be well. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.